0: Who's back
1: Hello, women. We are closing out the year by turning the tables and bringing you an interview of myself on the Terrain Theory podcast. I'm really proud of this conversation and the depth of information we cover. It's one of my best interviews yet, if I do say so myself. I go over my own origin story of finding birth work and my journey towards sovereign birth, which many of you haven't actually heard. I unpack common mistruths and programming of what sovereign birth actually is. We go over the host's own son's birth, and let's be real, I kind of just blow these men's minds. They, like most others, were totally unaware of the trauma and abuse and lies that modern obstetrics are steeped in and how medical midwifery, uh, when they attend home births, is actually an entirely inviting the system into your home, even though it's sold as the best choice even for freedom fighters. We touch on instinct injury, how I don't use the word empowerment, and how when women gather, magic happens. I hope you enjoy learning a little bit more about me and hearing me, as always, speak so passionately about all things birth, totally unfiltered, and oh so candid. If you're listening to this show today in real time and you're about to wrap up 2023 with me, then happy, happy new year. I, for one, got my ass kicked in 2023 and am very excited to take my stripped down, raw, exposed self with all of my learnings and create a powerful 2024. All right, enjoy. I will see you on the other side.
2: Emily Saldea, welcome to the Terrain Theory podcast.
1: Thank you. Excited to be here.
2: Emily, what is the Free Birth Society?
1: <sighs> what is the Free Birth Society? It is a planetary platform. It is my company. It is a hub for, I would say, the wild-hearted, radical, or radical curious women. Uh, we offer education, support, coaching. Uh, focused on the sovereign birth paradigm, which obviously we'll be getting into over this next hour. Um, yeah, so on paper, I would say it is a a ever growing, ever scaling company that I run that I own. But there is this uniqueness behind it because it also is shaping rapidly into a movement into a. The, the entity of free birth society is really becoming this this visual or this brand or this lighthouse, as I often refer to it as, um, for what's possible.
2: What's the difference between a sovereign home birth and a home birth?
1: Yeah, I guess it would just primarily depend on who is there. So a home birth, well, a home birth is just a woman birthing in her home, but in our current culture, when most people say home birth, they are referring to a birth that they had at home with a medical provider, a medical midwife, a CPM or a CNM, if we're going to talk about the States. So it's interesting because language, right? How we use language really, really matters. And most people think that home birth is synonymous with birth attended by a medical midwife. Okay. So a sovereign birth is a birth that happens in the absence of medical providers.
2: So who is there in their stead?
1: Whoever the woman wants. Um, Lots of women birth just themselves, either alone with the support of their partner. That's what I chose for my last birth. uh, My first birth, I chose to have my sister, my blood sister and a friend of mine a female friend. And then of course my husband. Um, yeah. So if we're talking about, if we're going to zoom out into the full sovereign birth paradigm, I would include it, it is what is inclusive in that paradigm is free birth, which obviously we'll talk about in a second, but it is also inclusive of hired birth professionals but that are outside of the medical system. So I call myself uh, an authentic midwife. I am purposely unlicensed. I attend births. I have no medical training on purpose. Uh, I've been attending births for 20 years. The first 10 were inside the system. The last 10 are outside of. And so, yeah, I would say you can have a sovereign birth. Women have sovereign births that can include hiring a doula or hiring uh, an underground midwife Whatever, anything in that sphere, but it is specifically outside of the medical paradigm. Does that make sense? It it's starting
2: to make sense. Yeah, let's (laughs) break. No, it is. It is. And break it down. Well, yeah. So what you're doing is you're you're shifting my my perspective because as I told you before, we hit record. Um, we had a home birth, but it was attended to by a midwife. So in that sense, we were sort of inside the system.
1: Well, it was attended by a medical midwife. Yes. So that makes it. Yeah. A home birth inside the medical paradigm.
2: Right. Which is okay. So you're kind of blowing my mind because as you mentioned, I have thought of home births as synonymous with that that thing. And so what you're doing is you're introducing some nuance here and some other options that I was not aware of. Yeah. And this is awesome. So why... Okay. So why would... Why... Offer this? Why offer this option? Yeah, <laughs> what?
3: What?
1: what, are we what, do right what here? Yeah. What? What
2: would yeah. attract? Um. What would attract a woman, uh, to have a birth outside of the medical sort of system? Like, what attracted yeah. you? What? What compelled you to create this movement?
1: Yeah. Well, if you want me to start with my personal story, I can do that, and then kind of branch into Let's what I understand of of the the full spectrum of of what I know of why women choose these um, sovereign births. So, okay. The condensed version of my story is I dropped out of high school at 16, ready to begin my life. I was super bored and, you know, got straight A's and never went. And so, um, I got really interested in claiming my life really young. So I left high school at 16, moved to LA and very quickly got into, got into the birth world First, it was with volunteer work, supporting families whose infants were in hospice care. And I was bringing the modality of infant massage as a way of bonding with, uh, their, their babies before their babies were to pass. So a pretty heavy, uh, pretty intense introduction into working with families, um, and, and, why I bring that up to kind of color the rest of my story is I saw very quickly and at such a young age, I saw very quickly what happens when a woman is supported, what happens when a woman is seen and loved and what happens when a woman is centered in her mothering, which is very hard to have happen when your child is in the NICU and in NICU hospice, which is a league of its own. So, from there, I got pretty obsessed with this mother baby dyad. And at again, such a young age, I would spend a lot of time in my early teens thinking, what matters? Like, what really matters? What really matters? And I'd go round and round on all these big issues. Um, and the long and short of it is, I realized it, though it is uh, cyclical, for sure, really so much comes down to mother baby. So much comes down to mother, right? Mother baby, I I use as one word. And I mean that wholeheartedly because they are one word. And so that goes into, I am young in my community. So older friends of mine start to have babies, start to get pregnant. I'm in the yoga community of l a so my friends start to invite me to their births, and so of course, i'm a yes, I start to see birth. Uh, my first round of births were all home births with medical midwives, and yeah, from that perspective of of seventeen now, uh, having no critique of this system, it seemed like the most magnificent thing I've ever seen in my life, right I'm seeing birth, I'm seeing people come out of people, like what's more interesting than that and so I'm feeling, okay, yeah, I got my thing. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take some trainings. I'm going to read the books. And then I go to my first hospital birth. And that's when really everything starts to shift. It's one of those, those markers you know, in my life. So I go to my first hospital birth. It's a friend of mine who I cared for very much. And what I realize now or you know, soon thereafter was all I saw was a very, very standard induction into coerced surgical birth. Um, covered in lies, manipulation, and abuse. But I didn't understand that yet. It was my first birth. I'm 17, right? So I attend this birth. It was horrific. And it ended, she was coerced into a C-section saying, your baby is definitely too big to pass through your pelvis. This is a common, a common lie that they use. And uh, they said, your baby is definitely 10 and a half pounds. Now, I didn't know yet about the scam of ultrasound. I didn't know yet about the giant discrepancies and, um, yeah, fallibility of ultrasounds. And so this mother agrees. She has the C-section and the baby is seven and a half pounds. And so I left there and got on my knees in a parking garage at Kaiser Permanente (laughs) And looked up at this guy or at the parking garage and just was like, all right, I'm in. Like, I'm in. I don't understand what just happened. And I am committed to understanding what just happened. So I'm going to fast forward through a part of this because then for the next 10 years, (laughs) I work in the system. I am taught that reform works. I am groomed by mainstream doula organizations, mentors, uh, associations that being a doula and being a medical midwife or a medical midwife's assistant, which is what I did for many years, was how I affect change. That was how I help. And I believed it until I didn't. So I, in that time, attended hundreds and hundreds of births. I was incredibly successful in my doula company. Uh, I also ran a nonprofit that supported non-live birth outcomes for all of Los Angeles. And so I have a kind of a unique amount of experience in bereavement care. Mm. And yeah, that brings us up to 10 years ago where I... Had this light bulb moment, I had been to many births in a row that were incredibly abusive and I had begun to get language for what I was seeing. There is some layer of embarrassment that it took so long for me to put these pieces together, but it really speaks to the amount of gaslighting that is within the uh, overculture of birth because everywhere I looked, everyone was normalizing And doubling down on what I was witnessing. So I felt very lost. I felt very conflicted. I had a tremendous amount of secondary trauma from witnessing what I was seeing. And I was alone. I had no one in my life that I could find who was attending births outside the system, who um, would even speak to what I was trying to bring up in, in our community. Okay. So I attend a series of incredibly abusive births one after the other. It's just how it went that week that they all went like every other day. And it was so bad. I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't need to go into it here, but there was, um, on the scale, there was a lot of sexual assault. There was a lot of obstetrical violence. And I mean, I mean, being held down, instruments forced in her body while she's screaming no. I mean, you know, I don't use these words lightly, like very significant. So after my last birth, that was a unnecessary home birth transfer due to the rules and regulations of being a state owned midwife in the room, which is what we'll get to about about your guys's birth if you want. Um, I ex- I witnessed some really horrific treatment in the hospital to this mother and baby. And I left that birth. Now we're 10 years past that first one. And I looked up to this guy and I said, I'm done. I will not do this anymore. I will not accept money to attend births and pretend like I can stop what I'm seeing. It's a lie and it's incredibly unethical. And so I had a real, you know, face to face with myself and realized not only is it unethical to continue the career path I'm on, but also that no one in Los Angeles that I had attended births with, and I'd been with all medical, I'd been with all the midwives practicing at that time, um, I wouldn't go, any, go near any of them for my own birth, which I was in the, the early stages of conscious conception. So realizing that there was no one I would attend myself with. Um, was really my light bulb moment of realizing for myself as I was considering calling in motherhood that I myself, the only answer would be to birth alone, to birth outside the medical system because I had a decade deep relationship of the reality of it. I'll, I'll stop there if, if you want to say anything.
2: <laughs> it's, it's a remarkable... It's a remarkable story and a remarkable journey. And I, I appreciate you providing context to the, to the beginning of our conversation. I really, it, it, when we were, so my son is seven. We, I think, knew pretty early on we wanted to have a home birth. It was not an option on the table that was discussed that ever entered in my head that you would have a birth at home without someone there attending. And I would imagine that to 99% of the listeners, anyone who's not, who who isn't aware of the free birth society and what you're doing, they would probably Uh think the same way that,
1: well, let's use lang- our 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 correct language. So when yeah. you say someone attending, you mean a medical provider.
2: Yes, yes.
1: Because I attend.
2: Sure. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, like a like a certified. You know, our, our midwife is yeah. a, a certified uh, professional midwife, and of and you think, okay, this person has authority. They have the know how. You know, if things go sideways or things don't right. don't go as they often do, and we are subjected, and I would think women much more than than men are just subjected to the, the 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 horror stories, not the horror stories, but the what could go wrong. right You' I mean, this is what funnels you into the system in the first place to have a hospital birth is all the things that could possibly go wrong, and you need to be there to to make sure that they don't and and in the uh, in the event that they do, I'm just saying this is what everyone's told,
1: of course. the narrative is the most responsible thing you do yes. if you give a shit about your child. Yes the most responsible thing you do is you go into the hospital and you give your authority and your sovereignty and your autonomy over to the industrial medical complex, and they now are in charge of your wife and your baby. Yes. And that is the responsible, smart way that that increases the likelihood that your wife and your baby will be safe. So then when you do the pretty radical thing of having the home birth, you better still toe the line. You still need a medical provider there. You still need someone in charge of your wife and your baby.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I have goosebumps. Yeah, because I get I have, it. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have goosebumps I because of the way that you are articulating this. Um, okay, so.
1: <laughs> so what are you feeling right now?
2: Uh, just, thi- just reflecting on, on the birth of of our son Grayson and some of the, the challenges that were faced at that time. Um, And thinking first of all, how, how thankful and how grateful that I am to this day that we did have a birth at home starting, Mm. starting there. Um, We, you know, we loved our midwife. There were some moments during the actual delivery that, you became sort of challenging, and she actually called the um, the EMTs were in the driveway because she was worried about what was going to happen. Like his heartbeat was uh, slowing down, his breathing was slowing down. He was sort of stuck in the birth canal. Um, and I, you know, I, so I, I look back at that and I go, what you know, what would that have been like if we oh, okay. didn't have a certified professional midwife? So that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. Right now, that's um, mm-hmm. that's what I'm feeling that's go. All right. So go ahead. You have something to say.
1: Oh no. I mean, we could, we could unpack that all day long. If you <laughs> let's
2: unpack it. I, I mean, I would, I would love to, I don't want to, I don't want to derail um, the conversation, but let's, un, if we could, let's unpack it a little bit.
1: I don't think it's really derailing because it's, it is the conversation. Okay, Like it is it, right? So give me just a little bit more context. One question that I have is, did, do you believe and did this factually occur? Um, what was, was so, so he was born at home and he stayed at home. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so she was obviously monitoring heart tones. Um, there's a story that he was stuck. Okay. There were EMTs in the driveway. That's all very dramatic, but what actually occurred, he came out and he was fine. Yes. He, did he need to be resuscitated? No, was he was did perfectly he take fine. The na- perfectly Okay. So very important information. Yeah. Right? He came out and he was fine.
2: Absolutely fine. 100% fine. Okay.
1: So you have your answer. Yeah. If she had not been there, <laughs> if we just take that layer off, we have the answer. Your wife would have um, birthed Grayson with a hell of a lot less drama. And that's the end. <laughs> Right, because you don't even carry the story that she did something that saved Grayson, which is a very, very common uh, other layer. You know, in a lot of birth stories that I debrief with women um, and their partners. But yours is kind of a perfect one because she she is okay. So, so let's talk about medical midwifery because this is so relevant to you and then to anyone listening who um, has contended with this or is considering it. If I were to summarize the the fundamental flaw with medical midwifery, the the fundamental problem, it is that she is unable, by she, I'm not picking on your specific one, all state-owned midwives, all registered midwives, they are unable to be in integrity and to be loyal to mother and baby. Why? Because they are owned by the state. What does that mean? They have rules and regulations that they have to follow in order to maintain their licensure and stay in good standing with medical boards and with the state. So what are those rules and regulations? Aren't they there to keep mother baby safe? Well, I would say, of course not. Of course not. It's obstetrical standards, first of all. And so something that you might not know because I've yet to meet a medical midwife who is transparent about the limitations of her licensure and how it will impact the space holding and care she can provide. What you don't know is that the government is in your birthing room the government and the rules and regulations of your state are here with you when you hire that woman. Therefore, she doesn't really work for you. Her loyalty is divided. And if her loyalty is divided, it's not with you. So I'll, I'll dig a little deeper in to really contextualize that for anyone that this is new for, but I just want to pause here to say, I find that incredibly unethical and I don't want that anywhere near me and my family. Okay. So, oh, go ahead.
2: If if it had been put to me that that way, right?
1: <laughs> That's why we're here.
2: <laughs> yes, because you you know you are. Um, I mean, you're speaking you're speaking our language right now. I mean, we have conversations about what is sovereignty, what is true sovereignty. We have conversations on this podcast with guests talking about government and getting government out of our lives. And they, when they, you know, now I have to look at my son at some point and go, the government was there. For at, you know, zero, zero minute, zero second. Like they've been, yeah. and that's a, that's a, that's a tough thing. To you, don't, grapple. you don't
1: have to do that. No, I don't. And you don't have to say that. Yes. And, and, but it is an interesting point that yes, Totally. I, I, I think this is such an interesting conversation because no one wants to touch birth. There's all these freedom fighters out there being like, you know, no jabs. You know, I'm a freedom fighter. The government's not going to tell me what to do. But, but would you make sure my wife's OK in birth? Would you definitely tell me when I need to go to the hospital? Like, hello, no one's looking at the thing that starts our lives. The origin of what grooms us into society is with these medical providers. No one's touching it. It's so interesting. Yeah.
2: Emily, I can see. <laughs> I can see why many people would be coming and flocking to your movement. Just yeah, given and what you've said. You and yes. Given what you've said so far. Had right? I had I known this was an option, I would have. Advocated for it, of course. You know, I'm not the one making the final decision. However, I would have advocated for it, and I think I I think this might be the direction we would have gone. Okay, so whew, where do we where do we uh, where do we continue? I mean, if you
1: don't mind, let me contextualize the rules and regulations yes, a bit. Yes, because I think that um, is is really important. So again, because I've yet to hear of a medical midwife who is transparent about this. So what happens is. We've got pretty good saleswomen. They are. They tend to default to, "Yeah, I'm granola." They, they, they lie. Okay, so I'm. I'm obviously making a generalization. There might be some unicorn midwives out there, but I don't think so. And so, what I observe through thousands and thousands and thousands of birth trauma debriefs, where there's midwifery uh, betrayal, it sounds like this. Um, Oh, I only do vaginal exams if you ask for one. Um, I bring the Pitocin, but I haven't used it in years. You know, we only do that, um, you know, if you're really, really hemorrhaging. And yeah, you don't need to do heart tones. You know, I don't, nothing that makes you uncomfortable. Hey, informed consent. What you say goes. I'm here for you. And then they show up in labor and they look at the mom and they say, you know, sweetheart, I do think we need to just do one exam so I can chart it and know where you're at because I don't know if I should stay or not. Right. And then begins a million examples that I could give you of how it spins completely outside of, um, yeah, the bullshit they were sold. So there are some rules and regulations that are fairly common in the Western world. Um, so there might be, you know, depending on where you listeners are from, there might be some variants, but I'm going to go off of just kind of the average of the USA. Each state is a little bit different, but where are you guys?
3: I'm in upstate New York.
2: Benson, okay. New Hampshire. I'm in New Hampshire, but we had the birth in Vermont.
1: Okay. So one example that's pretty universal is a medical midwife is not allowed by her license to attend a birth that is uh, beginning to unfold in before 37 weeks gestation. That in the medical world is called a premature labor, a premature birth, (laughs) okay? So if a perfectly healthy normal woman who births all her babies at 36 weeks, which I've attended quite a few of those, um, begins to leak her waters at 36 and a half, a medical midwife will say, you have to go, which is a lie, you don't have to go. It's not, you know, she's not being arrested. But she will say, you have to go to the hospital for an induction. What would be more honest is for her to say, "Um, I'm going to choose my license here. And to stay in good standing with my license, I'm going to leave. Now, some midwives do say that. I'm going to leave. I'm going to abandon your care. And so what is a freaking woman in labor who has planned on this woman, has invested $6,000, has sat at the dinner table with her. She has met her children. What's she going to do? Right? She Okay, so you get where I'm going with that. Okay, so she's also not allowed to attend after 42 weeks. So this is very common. Uh, Lots of women are still pregnant at 42 weeks. That's incredibly common. That's not even interesting. And so that would be another, you know, your baby's gonna die, dead baby card gets all the women to the hospital quickest way to get a woman, you know, to be subordinate. So Things that are going down in the labor that are super interesting and relevant is a midwife won't let you know, a medical midwife, that if your waters are open for more than 12 hours without significant labor, you got to go. She can't stay. Okay. So women, oh, the presence of meconium. That's a good one. Medical providers are terrified of meconium, which is the baby's first bowel movement, Um, In the vast majority of cases, it is absolutely normal. In the vast majority of cases, it is a mature baby having its first bowel movement. It is possible, of course, it is possible that the release of the meconium, the release of the bowels could be a sign of distress. It's possible. Is it likely? No, especially in a normal physiological, biologically unfolding birth. Is it possible? Yes. But obstetrics doesn't play with that. Obstetrics doesn't play in the mystery. It doesn't play in the unknown. It's about knowing. It's about pathologizing. It's about preventing, right? So medical midwifery is a branch of obstetrics. That's important to know. So something that I take the biggest issue with is, um, oh, so in the presence of meconium, that's just usually a transfer to finish that thought. That's, they're not messing with that. Um, okay, so let's get into third stage management because this is one of the most fucked up ones. Active third stage management is required by a medical midwif- midwifery license. Active third stage management means so, third stage is the birth of the placenta. So, baby is out, and if you are with a medical provider, so your midwife, you have a couple of minutes before she begins active third stage management. If you're lucky, you maybe have a couple minutes. By you, I mean women. And so, uh, what active third stage management means is she will begin to pull the placenta out of the woman's body, which is likely still connected to the uterine lining. And it is also likely still giving the blood transfusion that nature is designed to do to your incredible baby, getting all of his or her organs online, right? A very, uh, very significant part of the design for a healthy mother baby. And so there, she begins tractioning the cord, pulling, 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 and uh, begins what they call fundal massage, which is actually fundal abuse. So f- the fundus is the top of a woman's uterus, and it gets stitched together in the labor. And so um, they will vigorously rub it and push on it while the woman writhes in pain and screams. And she says, "It's it's to get your placenta out, honey. I know, I know it hurts." I've seen, I've seen hundreds of births without fundal abuse, go just perfectly fine. So it's fundal abuse, it's traction of the cord. And then the mother gets shot with Pitocin in her bum. Um, she is often not told that this is coming and there's nothing she can do about it. She's going to get a, a shot of Pit in her bum. There are some medical midwives who are slightly more discerning, slightly, But at the first whiff of her not thinking this is absolutely perfect to her terms, it's happening. Um, And then, of course, there's many medical midwives who do this just routinely, which is what they're supposed to do in most states. So they get the shot. Now, um, you know, Pitocin, I'll just very briefly say, is um, drugs. It's a synthetic um, pharmaceutical that (sighs) it forces uterine contractions. It has a long-standing association with postpartum depression. It uh, what it's what it's actually chemically doing is suppressing the mother's oxytocin, which at this point should be fireworking out of her pituitary gland as she eye gazes, as she kisses, as she smells. But by the way, with medical midwife, you're unlikely to get any of that because there's vigorous rubbing, there's wiping, there's suctioning. Um, maybe she's learning a new neonatal resuscitation technique. So she's bagging the baby just to practice. Uh, yeah. And so she gets the shot. And now if the placenta is still not out, the medical midwife will go inside the woman's body and she will go all the way up to her elbow and she will do manual removal and she will scrape it off the mother's uterus. That is happening in the vast majority of home births. It's insane. And it's, the other thing is it's dangerous. Mm. So a lot of what happens here is that they create, by they, I'm referencing medical midwives and, and, you know, OBs, RNs, anesthesiologists, the obstetrical model, metals, creates problems, manufactures problems like hemorrhage, like shoulder dystocia, and then fixes it, or at least tries to with really expensive surgery.
2: it's a lot to digest michael jump in here
3: hello uh like the one of my favorite phrases i'm coming to realize from a past guest amanda volmer is run screaming from their system um i think basically is what you're saying emily uh obviously you're so passionate um just to circle back to uh, the meconium issue um I do have a, a friend who had opted in L.A. Uh, she opted to have a home birth. Didn't want to have it at, at their own home. So they rented a place where they could have it. Uh, and, you know, to not go to a hospital. And things did go south. And it was the meconium that caused an issue. Um, and and they, they did lose the baby. I guess what I'm saying is mm. certainly things do go south. Despite people's best intentions. Despite trying to go um, the holistic path. So, and so could you just speak a little bit about that? Because, because it's, it's it, this is, this is reality. Mm-hmm. Things, things, things do happen.
1: So first layer is I hold the couple of things you said about that birth pretty lightly because I don't know is it true that meconium is why that baby died? Because I've seen resuscitation mess babies up. I've seen pitocin kill babies. Is it true that the baby releasing its bowels and then coming into the into the world caused the death? I don't know. I right. don't and, know. You know so. I, and
3: this is you know it's just it's not hearsay. These are close friends. Totally. I know something about it. And I don't want to. Sp- you know, obviously i have to keep their anonymity oh, of intact. Of, but the story is that there was, there was so much meconium more mm-hmm. than usual that the baby ended up choking on it. And, the, mm-hmm. and that, and yeah. And, and that was, but that.
1: what, what's so profound about the mech, uh, you know, breathing it in dialogue is that, and we don't know, you know, this is not about this specific birth, sure. obviously, because right. we don't know, but what I have seen in the system is, okay, this is really important. So, I'm going to back up for a second. So when a baby comes out and remains intact, the baby comes out and its lungs are secondary as an oxygen source. It is not the primary. It will not be the primary until it is, and they can take multiple minutes to transition. They are still receiving, I mentioned the blood transfusion earlier, the placenta is holding on to you know, somewhere between maybe a half to a third of the baby's blood volume. And it will release that once the baby is outside. And so there's a transitional period where the baby doesn't have to figure out how to breathe with its lungs right away. And so it allows for an incredibly gentle and paced transition. Now, when a baby is cut right away, which are many, many, many medical midwives practice still, they don't get to transition, they are forced to figure out how to breathe. So, if meconium is um, well, so all babies inside have mucus and fluid and possibly meconium in their mouths,
3: yeah. in
1: their noses, you know, it's all wet and mucusy in there. So, when the baby comes out, it's normal that there would be mech and mucus and fluid in a baby's mouth. If a baby is cut and forced to, yeah. you get where I'm going with this, to I then yeah. suck into as a reflex can create problems. Yeah. You don't really see that with an intact cord and and I'm not saying any of these are like black and white because they're not right but you are Every- providing
3: you're providing nuance and you're saying there's there can always be more to the story and it's it's funny because it's a permaculture principle. It's like you know you're always building ba- backup systems, backup systems, backup systems, backup systems. Of course, the human body would create backup systems upon backup systems for this most critical moment right. in, in, in and life. it's just
1: so it's so important for us to if we're interested in investigating our own relationship to life and to death and to birth we we have to hold when we hear these stories the like okay and what else happened and yep. what else happened and what else happened and know that we don't know and so it's just not as black and white as these stories that get passed around you know sound yeah. so no, to get to I the I appreciate that. Yeah, to get to the um you know, larger, super important conversation is, and what if the baby dies? And yes, yes, what if that is something that all women choosing a sovereign birth paradigm uh, birth will contend with because it is, you know, on the fringe because it is not the norm. Many women who birth in the system, you know, will admit that they never even considered that because the doctor has it right. Right. So, what is true? Is that all species experience stillbirth. Nothing in the development of science and technology has eradicated stillbirth. Life ends at every stage, right? So pregnancies end at all trimesters, infants die, 60 year olds die, life ends at all stage. Okay. So first we just need to like Remember that, yeah, because we come into these conversations with this um you know thick, thick programming that says babies aren't allowed to die, if right. that does occur, someone is to blame, right, and obviously, we all can you know relate to this um you know this this thing that is taught to us that you know is, is in the zeitgeist without necessarily saying it, which is if a baby dies in the hospital. We get to say they did everything they could, right? And if a baby dies at home, you irresponsible, neglectful mother, you should be jailed. Right. Okay. So death is a huge conversation in the free birth community. What I guess I have to say about it in a nutshell is... When you understand normal physiological birth and how to best protect it and support it, you actually realize that birth is inherently quite safe. Hmm. Does that mean it has eradicated? Sometimes babies will not come here. Of course not. But we have to call in the conversation of spirit, of mystery, of karma, whatever else, whatever words we want to use for what else is in the room when a soul comes to this planet. And I'm no authority on that. I can't speak to that. I have no idea what's happening, but I do know something's going on beyond just the mechanics of birth. Okay. So again, you know, my work is, is so, um, I think it's so interesting as, as someone to speak on death because I have supported so much non-live birth outcomes with families, um, because of the nonprofit that I used to run. And so I used to be passed from medical midwives when they knew I was doing this work. Medical midwives would say, hey, my client lost her baby. She still wants to birth at home. Will you attend her? Of course. And so I got into this kind of interesting pocket of um, being with women who had lost their babies and didn't want to go be induced, be C-sectioned, still wanted an at-home funeral, wanted to hold her baby, be with her baby. which taught me a lot. And it yeah, I mean it's profound. So, yes, what if? And the path to navigating what if is incredibly subjective. It's so personal. There are, and usually this is for the dads, there are five or six, just I would call them almost black and white emergencies that we don't fuck with. If they present, it's very obvious, it's very serious. And you are grateful that there's a surgical room in your county. Right? Now, what people like just cannot comprehend because of all the shows and all, the, all the, the stuff is those almost never happen. They're so rare. I don't even find them interesting. They're so rare. And being where I am, where I'm tracking tens of thousands of sovereign births, I've heard of one cord prolapse. Uh, I'm like trying to think of what I've heard of one transverse position at the time of birth. I've heard of one, one, uh, placental abruption. I mean, one, I've heard of no hemorrhage. I've heard of no maternal death. I mean, that's, that's pretty significant.
2: Whereas, <clears throat> I mean, well, let's compare then let's compare. Cause one of the, one of the findings when we were doing the research doing the research on home birth, you know, statistics, what happens to, you know, what tends to happen to moms or babies if you're birthed in the, in the hospital, I mean, what are those comparisons? The numbers, like, how does that, how oh, does that know. shake out? Okay.
1: But that, I mean, I don't, I don't even trust the numbers anyway, yeah. because the home birth numbers are with medical midwives and the moms are getting pit, and you know the babies are are getting recessed. and so, yeah, really what we need to do, and I'm just waiting for my platform to be bigger so that I can confidently do this. But really what needs to happen is a sovereign birth survey where we have five thousand you know participants and get some hard data as close to it as we can of actual physiological birth because that doesn't exist there's no data on that
2: well one of the themes of i'd say this show this this whole like terrain theory movement is the a return to nature mm-hmm.
1: um
2: and it's it's so it's so fascinating to me we all at this point have seen videos of animals in the wild giving birth and there's no one attending that animal <laughs> you don't have you don't have you know, you're not in a room, you're not in a delivery room. These animals the the instinct sort of kicks in. They know what needs to happen. And it seems to me like everything sort of unfolds the way it's supposed to. And as as long as there isn't like a predator around, and we're not we don't worry about that as humans. We don't have to worry about that if we're doing a home birth. But my point being that we're told we've been removed, like we have been removed from the birth process. We've been removed from nature and then by extension, sort of removed from the birthing process. We don't own it anymore. We're told that it's dangerous. We're told that it's inherently risky and dangerous. It can be risky and dangerous to both mother and child unless you, as you've said, sort of turn accountability over to the, the folks in the hospital. And when you look at nature, what happens in nature, it all unfolds. And as you said, it's inherently actually safe as, as yeah. nature intended it to be.
1: Like everything in nature is oriented towards us surviving and towards us healing spontaneously and thriving. So if a predator were to present, uh, all mammals, including women, would stop birthing, which is exactly why when women get in cars and they go to the hospital, oh, all of a sudden, their contractions go away. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, their cervix is now getting monitored in, you know, at two centimeters instead of the eight that it might have been at home. Well, duh, because she just showed up into a pride alliance. So what's interesting, you know, women try to, we are groomed to override our animal body, but our animal body doesn't lie. Our animal body can't be told, no, 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 these people are safe. You definitely want that vaginal exam. The animal body doesn't want the vaginal exam. So in nature, and actually even more interestingly, uh, zookeepers know that you leave an animal alone. If you Google um, what to do when your cat births, it will say, leave it alone. (laughs) <laughs> it's, you know, it's really interesting. And, and the term for this, uh, my mentor is an elder midwife. Her name is Sister Morningstar, uh, one of my mentors. She uses this denaturing you know concept. She refers to it as being instinct injured, mm. that we as a people mm. are instinct injured. Wow. And that resonates so much. And she talks about birthing in captivity and the results of birthing in captivity versus birthing in the wild. And this is what we are. You know, I birthed in the wild, you could say, because I had no um, medical framework. I had no management. I had nothing. I had me. I had my husband. I had my bath. I had my toilet. I had my bed, you know, and I had my mother with my daughter. And birthing in captivity, you know, you all know what it looks like. It's technology. It's surveillance. It's charting. It is... Um, Getting up on a bed, being told how to push, being told when to push, being told when you can go to the bathroom, being told when fingers need to go inside of you, being told to scream less, being told you should numb out, being told you need the fentanyl, sweetheart. Let's get you as disassociated and numb so that we can strap you down, literally strap you down and pull your baby out. And every single procedure has a pretty big dollar sign associated to it. So birthing in captivity doesn't work well, right? To, and again, just to bring it full circle, to the point that zookeepers know that you leave the giraffe alone. No one's allowed near the giraffe. So it is the instinct injury, but it is also... It is also, you know, big pharma takeover. It is also, you know, what has gone down in the last 100 years, 200 years even. The, the, met, the midwifery takeover has been one of the most significant and interesting successful um, uh, smear campaigns, I think, in American history. Homebirth birth was the norm until very recently. You know, we've really, depending on your lineage, it's only one or two back that we were all home birthers. Yeah. And the narrative is, well, but yeah, weren't women dying in droves? Isn't, I mean, surely this is worth it. Surely the white coat is helping keep us safe. I have yet to see that be true. I have yet to see it. And the more uh, suspicious I have become of the propaganda that is fed to me my entire life, that the white coat keeps us safe, right? The more I've questioned the mainstream narratives, the more this all clicks into gear. But most significantly, it is that for the last 10 years, I have witnessed and tracked and heard and debriefed thousands and thousands and thousands of births all over the planet, in every country, from every religion, from every ethnicity, from every culture, and turns out they were lying to us. Birth really works. But do you want to be saved? You know, the, the, I mean, we could go really deep into <laughs> the, the resistance we have to take responsibility and, you know, all the drama that we're very committed to in our lives.
3: Yeah, well, right. yeah, go beyond ahead. Beyond birthing, just, just <laughs> as, as people living in society.
1: Right, right. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, to become sovereign, actually sovereign humans.
1: Also, women and families don't understand or they don't seem to understand that engaging in the system is entirely voluntary. And that might be one of the most important things to remember and and to shout from the rooftops. You don't have to have health insurance. You don't have to call and ask who your OB is. You don't... Need to do that. (laughs) Right? It's quite freeing to see who you are without that. And just to bring this really full circle, because I want to make sure this is said on the show, I want to tell you both the result of what I see and what I've personally experienced of stepping outside of these oppressive systems, where they, where there's a power dynamic, and and I and all women are the lesser. The result of women stepping out and saying no thank you and taking responsibility for their births, their lives, their families, is power. It's embodiment, right? And so then what we see is it's a full-on domino effect. Women aren't institutionalizing their kids after they have free births. They're not going to pediatricians and saying, is my baby okay? They're not shooting them up with, what is it now, 47 injections by age of one or something? They're not doing that. They stop wearing high heels. They leave their shitty jobs. They leave their shitty husbands. All of a sudden, they heal their, their anorexia and their lifelong binge eating you know, behaviors. Like Women start to fucking heal. It's so big. And it also makes so much sense why our culture is fundamentally committed to suppressing that and creating a mother-baby fracture from the get-go, right? But where I sit in my community, where that's just not really happening, it is incredible to see who I am, to see who these women are and become.
2: michael
3: yeah well uh, you are um you are a force of nature you truly are um and it's very inspiring to hear you hold court uh, i don't really want to say too much i'd rather just listen to you but <laughs> I, i'll say one more thing uh, i think what is i'm one well you would know infinitely more than me i imagine there are there must be others like you but you're certainly a shining blazing comet uh with, of, 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 of articulation of of deep truths but i'm just what i think the reason that you are who you are is because you got into this so young right it's like as you were you said you were 16 17 years old and all of a sudden you're and you're down on your knees in a parking garage saying like something's something ain't right here and it's similar ben when we talked to victoria like this when somebody like is turned on to the system being a fraud. Ruthie always reminds me how I had a system as the system is a fraud bumper sticker on my Volvo mm-hmm. when I was 22. And I was like, it's like, yeah, I was right back then. Like mm-hmm. it took me another fucking 20 years to do something about it.
1: <laughs> but I knew. You are marinating. Yeah,
3: exactly. Exactly. But I do. I, I think that's w- why you're fire to me. I'm just meeting you today for the first time, but it, it seems to be so, so bright is because you really. You you got the message really early and really young. And and that seems to be this just comes down, what does that come down to for our culture? Like how do you reach the youth? How do you educate? How do you uh-huh. instill these values? Um you know, from from well, the go.
1: I mean, it happens in our families, right? Like my daughter and son, this is their reality. Yeah. They, they've never been to a doctor. They they only know an intact mother. You know And so how that creates an intact family and intact births and then the ripple effect, it just becomes the norm. I mean, it happens It can, it can happen really, really fast. Um, and yes, you know, my, my, my personal level of experience is unique yeah. right now. Um, my creative partner has also been working in the world of birth for 20 years, but she's never worked in the system. And so you guys should have her on. You think I'm articulate? <laughs> it's insane the way she can the way she can break spells with her words. So she she's incredible. Her name's Yolanda Norris Clark, and she's would be a great guest. She also just came out with a book, so that would be fun to talk about on um, ecstatic birth. Anyway, so there she's definitely another powerhouse and light in this. Who also has the same amount of experience, but in this different way because. She's had nine children, all at home, sovereign births. She's pregnant with her tenth. Um, and then of course, we have our foremothers. You know We have the women who have carried this movement uh, more underground. I, what's unique right. about what I've done is, because of my generation, you know just my time in history, I took this into Instagram podcast, right. um, you know, the, the, the way in which this work has carried just through the time I'm in. Is is pretty unique to to me, um, and what's so beautiful to track is that in just six years, now a lot of our phrases have just become normal phrases. Free birth is becoming a, a normal choice for home birthers. Birth workers are now working more and more in the sovereign birth paradigm. I mean, it is crazy to see how fast. Women are waking up to this, which also doesn't surprise me because women are smart and they want their babies to be great and with them and not taken. And and so to bring back to what you said at the very beginning of this episode, why would women choose this? One of the most common ways that women come to this choice is after first being abused in the system,
3: Mm.
1: right? And so I would say that's like, if I had a pie chart, that would be the majority of women, who at this time are choosing it because they had such um, horrific experiences that they said never again. You know, I've worked with women in the Middle East who, um, you know, will f- will pretend that they're not even in labor until their husbands go to work and then stay home quietly and have their baby because they would rather kill themselves than go back to the hospital and be treated the way they were treated. It's very serious. It's very dark what's happening, yeah. and so. You know, it is life and death for some of these women. And anyway, so a lot of women come from trauma and say hell no, and they take responsibility. And it becomes in those women's minds, um, well, really to pivot to the conversation of risk is also important here because birth is risky, but so is driving a car and eating food and um, walking in the rain. (laughs) You know, everything has its own unique set of risks. And that's important to the what if and the death conversation because hospital birth is risky, home birth is risky. It's all risky because we're alive. Everything carries risk. And so what it really is, is what set of unique, unique risks can you live with, right? And so these women, and I'm kind of, you know, I don't mean to speak for anyone else, but from what I track and certainly for myself, I know what I get in the system. I don't trust it. I don't want it. That does mean that when I birth at home, I am risking a possibility that my baby could need an OR or I could need an OR and I would be an hour away from one. Yes, I can live with that. I also want to say something you're really not allowed to say, but if my baby were to die, I better be at home. Yeah. I better be at home with just my husband and my daughter and my son and my community. I mean you know, like sovereign death yep. is incredibly important to me. That doesn't mean I want my baby to die. That doesn't mean I'm reckless. Of course not.
2: It's an interesting you and you've gone <clears throat> to the other end, the alpha and now the omega. And this is a completely separate conversation, but it also is, we're looking at all of society, but sovereign death, we're, we're not afforded that either in this culture, are we? How many?
1: It's not the other end though, right? Because death and birth yeah. are often in the room together. Sure. And I don't, that's not implying that babies often die. They don't often die. But yes, it is actually all, you know, there's a saying in the birth world that you birth how you live. And I would add that you die how you live. Yeah. And so what I know is true is that the vast majority of babies coming into the world are born on drugs. Yeah. And the vast majority of people leaving this earth are on drugs and they die on drugs. And that's a no for me.
2: Amen. Emily, uh, <laughs> we're almost at an hour and I don't know where the time went. <laughs> um, you're certainly leaving me with a lot to think about, a lot to reflect on, a lot to think about. I can only imagine the same for the listener. I'm almost hesitant to to close out this conversation because it feels like we've got so much more to to go. I do have one question for for the women out there who you know maybe are long into their motherhood or maybe aren't even yet. Um, what what do you offer for for those women? Like outside of just the, the birthing process. How, and what other ways are you supporting women and the empowerment of women?
1: Yeah. And I will say, I don't use the word empowerment. Sorry. Okay.
2: Um, uh, yeah. Because it's a transfer. It's it? a transfer of power. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know this. I don't I
1: personally use it <laughs> because <laughs> empowerment is, is a temporary state. Yeah. I'm interested in power. Yeah. And I'm interested in what happens in the, the contagion, you could say of power. When women are around, powerful women, there's this contagious resonance that happens, but it's not um it's interesting because it's not I would never say I empower women. That's bullshit. No, I don't. I have no idea what what they're going to do. That's for them to figure out. I'm focused on myself mm. and being powerful, right? And so I get to show up in my 100% responsibility and everyone else can do whatever they want. So, um, what else I offer is, what else do I do? I have, uh, it's a lot of community building beyond the birth stuff, because what I know to be true is that the fracture of sisterhood, uh, the isolation of mothers in these little nuclear families and these little boxes all around, you know, Western world, um, is how this bullshit Can thrive. It's how everything we discuss can continue because when women gather, magic happens. When women gather and they speak and they speak their stories, women wake up. So I understand that in a very, very deep, real way. And yeah, so beyond radical birth education, teaching women how to attend birth in the sovereign paradigm, coaching families on you know who want to do DIY births, I am focused on building community from a space of um, rediscovering and re-remembering what sisterhood even means, right? Because it's um, it's pretty uncharted territory for most women. So I have an annual women's festival here on my land. I own 80 acres in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And so I do an annual festival here that is for women only um, and their children, should they want to bring them. And it's about 350 women and it's magnificent. And you know, it's women only very purposefully because what happens when women are outside of the male gaze is um, actually ineffable. Like I can't actually tell you I don't know the words to describe the healing that I see occur. So that's incredibly important to me. And that's for all females of all ages, you know, grandmas come, young girls come, maidens of all ages come. Um, Yeah. So that's called the Matriarch Rising Festival. And it's always over the summer solstice every June. And then we have an online community that's also for all ages. And we have lots of maidens, um, because of course my preference is that women don't first have to be traumatized to find these options. Right. And I also want to say, cause I didn't say this at the beginning, I fundamentally believe and think that women should do whatever they want. So I don't have, I'm not walking around with some, like all women should birth in the sovereign paradigm. I have no idea what all women should do. And that's really important to this message, right? To not like muddle it that I'm not, Um, like a preacher of what everyone should do. And actually some people get really upset to realize I'm not interested in telling people how to live. (laughs) They're like, you're not a cult leader. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I have no idea, you know, you women listening, what you should do, but you might, and then you should do it and do your actions align with what you want right? And that's a lot of what my coaching offers is I work with a a set of tools that I call my self mastery tools. And they are what I have used since I was a young woman to step into self responsibility. I work with commitments like being the resolution I want to see in the world. It's how I dealt with COVID. It was I don't mean I don't mean that I got it. I mean, it's how I dealt with the facade of it. (laughs) (laughs) With, With the game as I call it now. Um, and instead of, you know, getting in deeper, I just opted out, and I just decided I wasn't going to play the game, and I bought land and I created the life I wanted. Short version there. Um, yeah, so you can find everything at freeburstSociety.com that will link out to all of my many other things. Um, and I will say, if you aren't in, I mean, yeah, regardless of of what stage you're at, if you are a woman listening, Come see what it's like to be with only women on such a large scale. It will change you.
2: Amazing. And Emily, the question that we ask all our guests at the end of the show, what are your non-negotiables, the daily habits you do to tend to your terrain?
1: Yeah, I saw this question in my email and I actually laughed when I read it because... I don't have any non-negotiables. I think my very personality is that everything is negotiable. Uh, But I will say the only thing I came up with was, um, you know, focused, phone-free, work-free family time. Uh, I make a point every day to spend one-on-one time with my daughter, even if it's just for 15 minutes, but that is just she and I alone for really, I mean, I set a pretty small goal for myself, 15 minutes would be the minimum, um, but also with my baby, who's only one year. Um, but I just make a point every day to spend one-on-one, you know, totally tuned in present, you know, practicing full presence. Um, and then, you know, all of us as a family, mm, that's really all I got.
2: That's, that's a lot and very important. You mentioned the Free Birth Society website. Um, are there other places where the listener can learn more about you?
1: Everything really will come from that. You can look at matriarchrisingfestival.com. I'm on Instagram at Freebirth Society, where I share a bunch of freebirth um, videos. And so that can be really, really helpful to see what it looks like. In fact, I just posted at my son's one year a, the first five minutes of my son's life, which um, is really an important watch because he had a slow transition as did my daughter, but I've never posted that. So I posted it and it very rapidly went viral because people don't see normal transition. And it's interesting in the comments, there are hundreds of medical midwives and anesthesiologists and RNs being like, that baby needed a breath, that baby's floppy, he's going to have brain damage, boom, 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 boom. And I purposely posted it on the one year, right? Because... (laughs) you know, you can look at him, He's a beast. <laughs> you know? And anyway, so yeah, I just posted that. It's really interesting because it's totally normal. I know it's normal. I see birth babies transition like that all the time, but no one else knows it's normal, right? And that's part of this cool availability of these times is how we can share information. So yeah, my Instagram is pretty interesting. I do say so myself. And yeah, everything else is at com, And I have a podcast where hundreds of women are sharing their sovereign birth stories That's a really fast and free way to learn, Um, yeah. And then lots of offerings there.
2: Excellent. We'll put the the links in the in the show notes as we always do. Emily, Sodea, thank you so much for spending this hour with us and um, and inviting us into this sacred space. We appreciate you.
1: Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for your interest. hope you enjoyed the show today. You can support this podcast by donating to it on freebirthsociety.com and leaving an awesome review on whatever platform you listen on. The more reviews, the more visibility the show gets. So let's spread the word of Sovereign Birth. We've always got a lot going on at Free Birth Society and you can find out about all of it at FreeBirthSociety.com, at FreeBirthSociety on Instagram, and opt in to my newsletter below in the show notes. We offer courses on free birth, authentic midwifery, and the blood mysteries, as well as one-on-one coaching, in-person retreats, and of course our annual women's festival. Our exclusive, vetted, private membership is definitely something to check out if you're looking for a community of wise sisters. Together we rise. We must speak our stories, claim our lives, and support one another. This is the living revolution, and I am so grateful to be in it with all of you. I'll leave you with our epic Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red.
0: I honour you for the wisdom you held The ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly This sacred portal will be honoured Eons upon light beams of survival Withstanding the eradication of our power by design I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me My sisters will no longer birth in captivity The picket line redefined from burning our wild women To paralyzing us and drugging our babes Strapped down in a clinical white bed Drying up the milk from our breasts Keep your needles My family will never again be doomed To chase those dragons or your poison We reject your Fear. We choose love everything with intention death ascension I will fly and bring her back from the stars